everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Support Women in Sports podcast. Really excited to have you guys on. Um, I'm going to let Sydney introduce our guest today. We're switching it up. Switching it up. Usually Alana introduced the guest, but we're, we're trying new things here. Uh, today we have Melanie Newman, who is the play-by-play announcer for the or- Orioles. Wow, I can't talk today, but we're really excited and thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you guys for having me. So Melanie, if you'd like, you know, to introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about how you got to where you are today and kind of your journey in the sports industry so far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Growing up, sports was a huge part of what our family did for fun. I was not at all the athlete, but I loved being at the events, asking all the questions and wanting to know how everything worked. And uh, living outside of Atlanta, baseball was a culture for us. It wasn't just a sport or, you know, an occasional seasonal hobby. It's what you did 365. And I fell in love with it. it. It really wasn't hard from that point to be around it and to really dive into everything that was going on with it and worked my way up. Um, I was extremely introverted, so I thought I would be a print major until my advisor in college, my freshman year, suggested that I switch over to our broadcast major, which is actually two completely separate departments uh, where I went to school at Troy University. So I tried it, um, slowly found myself, started to come out of my shell, found my first professional opportunities really 2009, 2010, and just continued to network and to live the broke life Um, worked my way through the AA Mobile Bay Bears, who were an Arizona Diamondbacks affiliate at the time. I spent a season and a half with them, spent four seasons with the Arizona Fall League, which is Major League Baseball's finishing school for minor league baseball. Um, 2018, I was with the Frisco Rough Riders. They belonged to the Texas Rangers. And then in 2019, I became the lead voice of the Salem Red Sox in Roanoke, Virginia, which, of course, is an affiliate of Boston until this past offseason when I got the call to join the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I filled time in between all of that with different events between ESPN, the ACC Network, and Liberty University's broadcasting as well. Um, and of course, this year with COVID, that's all been pared down a lot. So I've gotten to just focus on Baltimore and uh, really start to grow into the Orioles' roots. But it's been fun so far, and it's, it's definitely not something that I think younger me thought I would ever do. Yeah, that's amazing. And obviously, like with your wide range of experience, and you mentioned that baseball has always been a really big part of your life, like, and you've been involved at all levels, which is really unique. And I don't think everybody has that perspective. So kind of how have you seen the game like grow and change over time? Yeah, I feel really lucky. And especially once I was in college, and I had um, actually a sports minor that really fed into my background of understanding the infrastructure of how sports work in the first place, because we got to see, you know, the governing bodies, the smaller pieces that make everything into what fans get to see on the field at the end of the day and realizing it's so much more than just athletes and coaches and a president. Um, There's year round planning that goes on for years in advance before anything can happen in the first place. But um, it was really organic for me again, just growing up outside of Atlanta we had the East Cobb complex. And then of course, once I was in college, Bobby Cox built his complex and they're two of the largest in the nation. Um, they draw year round tournaments and they're particularly wood bat leagues. So watching a young, scrawny, awkward Jason Hayward before he was Jason Hayward. Um, it was cool experiences like that, that you don't really think about at the time until you start to see those names pop up more and more on the radar. And you go, all oh, right, I, I saw them back in the day. 
um, I just wanted to be involved. I was a high schooler. And, and again, I, I couldn't be athletic, but I could keep the scorebook, you know, and I could help out scooping water off the field because it didn't drain well at the time and stuff like that. I was basically just like this little pest of a ghost that was always around the ballpark. Um, so I started out with the high school and the amateur level. And then of course, in college, I got involved with our own team at Troy and um, tried to expand as much as I could. So that ended up being with the Sunbelt Conference and the Atlantic Sun. Uh, they're both really close to each other in the tournaments that they have going on all the time. They needed student help uh, as well as reporters. And I feel very lucky that my former boss trusted me to do that, having seen that I'd never done it previously before. And I go back and I look at those tapes now that they're a decade old and they just, they make me cringe, but I did appreciate the fact and looking back and realizing just how um, the teams embraced me. And they knew that I was kind of learning the same way that their own student athletes were learning. And we really got to build up some cool relationships that I still have to this day with a lot of those college staffs. And then of course the minor league level, uh, when I graduated college, I didn't know how you got to the big shiny seat. You know, there's no clear cut path for that the way that it is for someone who say wants to be a studio host for a news station. And of course that's a super respectable job. It's very difficult to have that, but you can see that. Okay, I start out at the smaller TV station in Podunk, Nebraska, and eventually I get to be in Atlanta, Miami, Boston, wherever it be. Um, but for baseball, you kind of sit back and throw your hands up and, and see what's out there. And now that I've looked back on it, I have advised a lot of the younger men and women that I've mentored that that is actually a path you can take to get to live sports. You can still work at TV stations and they actually do pull a lot of their talent from there just because they have daily reps. They're in there, you know, morning, noon, and night continually improving on themselves. But for me, I got lucky and um, I initially started out with an independent team in Kilgore, Texas, which is every bit of the imagery you get of varsity blues of just this tumbleweeds rolling through town. There's nobody there. Um, the movie theater has been shut down for 10 years, but it was, it was a tough experience and it really kind of put my back up against the wall and it was, you know, do I really want to be here? And the cool thing about that little blip of a time I had in Texas is actually um, the World Series starter, Tony Gonsolin, was on the team with me that year. And he actually has a teammate, Marshall Kosowski, who's been working his way through the Dodgers system as well. Um, so seeing those kind of like pieces come back around that even though we were not on a map, you know, no one knew what we were doing. Um, you can still push through that and you can still find your way to success. I left that team actually in the middle of the season and found out that Mobile had gotten rid of their on-field host. And it was an opportunity for me. I had no questions asked. I called a girl I used to compete in with pageants. I didn't know her that well. Apart from that, and she let me crash in her guest room for the final two and a half months of the season um, and grew into that role and really embraced it. And credit to my broadcaster, Justin Baker, that we had known each other prior because we'd been schlepping pizza and beer back in Atlanta together. But he made me more than just the on-field host. He made sure that I was doing pre and post game for radio, that I was in the booth with him getting to call some innings. I paid out of pocket to go on the road with him. And of course that role grew to be even more the next season when I was joining them for the full year. Um, but he, he really changed the trajectory of, of everything I was able to do. And honestly, I, I couldn't imagine being at the big leagues now without the time that I had in the minors. And it will always be the most absolute special part of my life. That's awesome.
I mean, definitely like I, I live in Arizona, right? So like I know about the fall league and like minor league system, but also at the same time, like you're not really exposed to it. I feel like unless like you're looking for it. Mm-hmm. So like for you, like like you were saying to see like the people that now are playing the World Series, but see them like in independent leagues and like things like that. And just like how they've been able to grow as a player and stuff is, I mean, incredible, right? It's like almost like being like a proud like sister, or, like mom being like, oh my gosh, like you've oh, been no, like so it, far, which it is totally awesome. Is. It, it totally is. And it's funny because the older that I've gotten, you know, the players get younger. <laughs> so we were, we were the same age for a while, especially when I was in Mobile and a couple of them were still older than me. You know, we had, we had Archie Bradley and Jake Lamb and Brandon Drury, um, those years that I was in Mobile. And so it was kind of this kinship at the same level. And then it got to the point where these kids are 19, 18 years old and I'm 29 um, and I became mom, you know, I had, I had snacks in my bag on the road. I gave them relationship advice, or if they didn't know what to get their mom for mother's day, like I became that go-to person and I absolutely loved it. And that's what I told someone. I said, there's been a lot of really cool congratulations when I got the Baltimore job, but the ones that I will absolutely cherish. And they really got me emotional were all of the guys I had been with in the minor leagues who, you know, whether they were still there or they've also now made it to the big leagues. It was like, look at us, you know, like we're doing it. And um, they, they were really one of the very few who saw everything that I went through just to do my job at that level. Um, And I, I think there's always going to be that camaraderie there and that sense of, you know, we're just like them. We don't get to wake up and, and have the big paycheck and the, the fancy viewers and everything else. Yeah, like athletes are people too at the end of the day and kind of like similar experience for me. Like I got my start in the Northwoods League in high school as like a marketing intern. So like being able to see like those guys in college and then I worked for Gopher Athletics. I went to the University of Minnesota um, and I was working pretty heavily with baseball there. But just like seeing all those guys like grow into it and then also seeing college players play in high school and then watch them compete against the Gophers too. It was always really cool to see. I love it. Yeah. I um, saw an article actually from the Baltimore Sun that mentioned um, names like Justin Baker that you had just said and Bob Rathbun. Um, And I feel like a lot of times we talk about how women in sports, like we need like the allies and we need people that, you know, are looking out for us, especially like men in the industry and things like that. So aside from kind of what you had already touched upon with Justin, what are like some other instances or other like gentlemen in the industry that you feel really had your back and were really advocating for you and wanting to see your success within the sports industry? Oh my gosh, there's so many. And I think that's something that gets a little misconstrued sometimes with the whole female empowerment movement in sports is that it's up to females and it's only females and it's a male excluded portion of of a movement. And that's just not true. Um, some of my closest mentors and the people I look up to the most are men. And that's a simple math. You know, there, there are way more men in this industry than women. And there's some really, really good ones too, who have always been honest, you know, and have always been supportive. They've treated me the way that my own father has with not really letting me identify like, oh, well, I'm, I'm in the minority because of my gender. You know, this is tough for me or I shouldn't do this. And that they're the reason I'm here today. And as you mentioned with Bob Rathbun, um, he's family for us at this point. And it was complete happenstance. We adopted a dog through his wife's agency when I was in college. And my parents told her, you know, what I had been doing. And so she simply suggested that the two of us connect. And he was the one who really honed in on, I, I could do sports, 
but baseball was really where it was at for me. I, I changed the way that I spoke when I talked about it. And he's been there every step of the way. Um, I, I really would not be here without him. And then likewise, moving on even from him, Tim Brando has been absolutely phenomenal. He's somebody I've gotten to know over the last couple of years. And just such a positive light, always super fun to catch up with. And even within Baltimore, I mean, I'm one female and there's 18 men in the broadcasting roster. Um, we're the largest and it's not close in Major League Baseball, but I've adored every single one of my male counterparts and getting to work with them. Ben McDonald is just a hoot. He's the most entertaining person that I've ever gotten to listen to, I think, just talking about life and the way that he sees the game. And then likewise with my new co-broadcaster and Jeff Arnold. Um, we actually worked a lot together last year in the Carolina League and I was solo for the most part. And so when you're talking to yourself for five hours a day for 150 games, you start to run out of steam especially when I look at the first half and we were trending for the franchise worst record. And this goes back to the fifties. Um, and Jeff had a full-time partner. And so it was really neat because anytime we played each other, he would leave his partner for a couple innings and come hop over and it just shook things up. You know, it made things a lot easier just to have somebody there to kind of brighten the mood a little bit, to give a little bit of insight. Of course he was with the Baltimore affiliate. So he's known some of the guys we now get to talk about together every night for years, um, just having been a part of that. And of course, we both went through Frisco at separate times as well, but um, he's that right hand, you know, and everybody's commented about how smooth our chemistry has been. It's because we already had that previous year of, of being on air with each other. He knows my quirks and my, my dad jokes and the weird side that I have. And it makes things easier when you're planning out, you know, where are we going to take this game today? Um, I, I just, I really can't even go into the depth. Steve Berthume with the Arizona Diamondbacks, of course, was one of the first, just because we were an affiliate of them. We built a really easy relationship. And he, of course, connected me with his wife, Cindy Brunson, and she's been over the moon, um, just fabulous. But even so, my, my agent, Rick Diamond, has been wonderful. Hugh Freeze, who, of course, now is the head coach of Liberty, getting to know he and his whole family, um, has been a very humbling and heartwarming experience. And, and it's just crazy to watch how everybody interconnects to each other. Even Neil Brown, who's now at West Virginia, uh, he and Hugh talk every now and then. And for Neil to even remember my time working near him at Troy um, is a really cool experience. I just, I can't speak enough to how vital men are in building strong women in this industry. Yeah, you've talked about all these fantastic role models and people who have played a really big role in your journey. So looking back at all of that, like how do you want to inspire the next generation of both women in sports and just sports professionals in general? Yeah, I just think we, we have to kind of stop looking at the exterior of things and, you know, judging where people are at certain levels because I've even had times you know, trying to get to know other people and, and very clearly receiving the feeling back that I wasn't allowed to share that same air because I was in the minor leagues and they were in the big leagues. And, and I just think there's no room for that. Um, at the end of the day, we all know what it's like to kind of be starting out and to try to climb up from the bottom. And you can also really quickly root out too, like the people who have that genuine desire and want to be there and the want to give back and to improve the air around sports, you know, to give stories, to give emotional connections back to fans. And 
I think it just comes down to that, you know, finding the people who are genuine and then kind of removing the rest. It doesn't matter how much money they make or where they're living or what their lifestyle is, but having a more inclusive community and just making it a lot more casual. Networking is super important, but I think at the same time too, sometimes it gets uh, maybe a little over-dramatized to younger people who are coming up through the industry. And so they treat it like this very formal, rigid, black and white transactional relationship. And ultimately the goal that you want in getting to know more people in this industry is looking at them more as a friend, or like I even said earlier, some of them become family. And I think that's where you get the honest feedback. That's where you have the people who are looking out for you and saying, hey, I heard there might be an opening here. Um, you're not gonna find that if it's just the cold, speak to you at once a year. And it's usually just to see, you know, I need something or can I get your information on this? Um, but you just, you just have to be warm and welcoming. And I've always liked the, the phrase that, you know, when you get back up to the top, turn around and reach your hand down for the next that are coming up. And I think that means everything because yeah, it's great that you've succeeded, but if you leave and nothing has changed in the time that you've been a part of something, why were you there? You know, if, if you're not there to make an impact and to make something better than you left it, you haven't really done anything at all at that point. And I think those are the people that fans remember. And not that it's about the audience, but I do think too, because we have the privilege to be so much closer to the game and to bring in a more intimate field of fans that they can't have, it doesn't matter how much money they have. Um, giving them that and those little pieces that just make them feel like they really identify with these men and women and, and the phenomenal things that they're doing. Um, we have to step forward and be able to do that. And that starts with making sure that we not only have quality people around us, but we're making those people feel welcome and that they're at home and um, not that they have to prove anything to anybody personally, professionally, always, but personally, just be yourself, be a good person. But we say all the time on our Twitter, it's free to be nice. Like, yes. yeah, we, we've seen a lot of things in this industry recently of just, a lot of negativity and I think that's something that Alana and I both agree on with our with support women in sports it's just positive vibes only like just be nice like try to help everybody out so honestly I couldn't have said it better that was very well put yeah definitely so kind of going off of that about the success and wanting to help people like the future generation things like that and wanting to inspire for you what was it like to be you know like the first play-by-play -play for the team and kind of, you know, especially starting it in the middle of 2020, you know, thinking like, hey, normal season. And then all of a sudden, like, here we are and it's COVID and there's no fans. Like, how was it for you to be like literally the first female broadcaster for them? Um, it was overwhelming. I've never really allowed myself to put that idealized image of being the first female to do things. And I think some of that too, just goes back into the fact that I was one of the first for the Southern League and we never talked about it. Um, it really wasn't until Frisco four years later that that started to become a headline was female involvement, especially in a play-by-play -play capacity for baseball. Um, and it really kind of caught my attention to say, oh, look, like, you know, no one else is doing this and you're doing this. And even then I just tried to kind of put my head back down and keep going because I don't think we have that equality until we make people realize this is just normal. You know, we, yes, we do get treated worse in situations and that's not fair, but it's also not fair to be put on the shiny pedestal and, and be the new toy and, 
you know, look, but it's a female. I, like, I don't want preferential treatment for that either. Um, so it was overwhelming at first, just getting the media outpour that I had. And, and again, thank you to, to Pete, because he's really kept my head screwed on with all of this, just because I've, I've dealt with, you know, seeing feedback and having people who want to cover stories before, but obviously never to this rate where we've been constantly involved with outside media really from February and it's still running here as we're almost into November at this point. And I feel really blessed for that, um, that it's a story that people feel that they want to share. Um, again, being this introverted, nerdy kid growing up, like it's just, it's still a little crazy to me to believe that. But you started looking at the season, and at that point, I had the job with advanced stats with Major League Baseball, and because of the timing of everything, it wasn't really something I could afford to even give up at the point, so I was juggling um, between working for the statistics office, but also digging into this new team that I was now a part of. I had fully planned on being back with Salem this year, and so there's work, but there's less work because you, you already have the idea of which guys are going to come back to your affiliate, who's moving up, what's going on. And now all of a sudden it's, are there guys from Frederick? Because those are really the only ones that I've seen that are going to be coming up. You know, what did Baltimore do last year? What are they trying to do this year? Um, getting those ideas of trending reports, all of that information that's happening outside of the game takes weeks. And instead, I was trying to cram it in between getting up at 5 a.m., going down to morning camp in Sarasota, which was about an hour and a half drive for me, going from morning camp to an afternoon game to work for statistics, then going home and uh, trying to do all of that work. And then just kind of hitting the reset button the next day, all the while you're hurtling towards opening day, which by the way, we're in Florida and it's all the way up here in Baltimore. And I somehow have to get from Florida to Atlanta for all of my things, move into Baltimore. I had, I think 36 hours between getting off air in Sarasota to first pitch opening day. And of course, once opening day happens, you don't have a life for 170 days. Um, I'm trying to picture moving in and getting acclimated and keeping up with the work and then hitting the road all at the same time. It got to be a lot. And I did panic a lot about just how was I possibly going to be able to pull this off, you know, and, and put a good product out there for fans because that's that added pressure. You're the first to do something. And if you don't do it well, why are they ever going to repeat that? It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. If you don't set the stage to continue that improvement, to continue change, then you're doing a disservice at the end of the day to everybody. So honestly, we started hearing whispers about COVID and yes, it was, um, it was nerve wracking because work stoppage in baseball usually only happens because there's a disagreement, not because there's a global pandemic. And there's so many more unknowns because of that. And then you start wondering, you know, I've just started this job and I don't even have my first paycheck. Am I still going to have a job? Um, so it, it just got to the point where I've dealt with so many uncertainties in minor league baseball. And I, I'm thankful for that now because I, it got through to me that I needed to just stop and I can't change it. I'm, I'm not with the CDC. I'm not the president. I don't know what's going to happen next. So whatever happens, happens. And we were going to go along as normally scheduled. And we were actually preparing for a night game against the twins in Fort Myers. And we had heard whispers. It was the morning after the NBA had decided to shut down. Um, but Jeff and I had talked about it and said, Nope, we're going to, we're going to go on as planned. It'll be fine. Um, we had already had the socially distanced player interviews. We had these big patio tables outside of the clubhouse and 
the players had to stand on one side and we had to stand on the other. We'd already been doing that for a week, which, you know, isn't awkward to meet the players that way at all from across the room to be like, Hey, you're going to see me for the next 162. Nice to kind of meet you, I guess. It's fine. Um, but after we had done our morning prep, the buses weren't leaving and they were supposed to at that point. And so me being the priority person that I am, um, decided we were going to go eat because I was hungry. And that's really all that matters once I hit that point. Um, and just said, look, you know, if the buses leave, we'll know when they leave, we can catch up to them easily. It'll be fine. We had paid our check and we had been hanging out and we got a notification that the buses had left and that they had come back. And we knew at that point that, you know, things weren't going to be normal after that. And I will say, of course, obviously later that day, it had been only a couple hours and they decided spring training was on hiatus and everything was done from that point. And um, I went back to Tampa and luckily I live with two of my dear friends who work for the Rays. So there was no urgency, you know, I didn't have to get out of the hotel, um, nothing like that. I had a home that was safe that I could stay at. And I think I slept for three days. <laughs> Um, finally kind of just regathered myself. And I, I made a call to Baltimore and said, you know, do I, do I go home? Do I stay in Florida? Like it was when everybody thought this would be a couple weeks and we'd be back to normal. And they finally said, no, just go to Atlanta. Don't even bother being in Baltimore. Baltimore is starting to permanently shut down right now. Um, and it was quiet and we finally started developing some digital content. And then obviously the season came back around, but it still doesn't feel like I'm in the big leagues. And it hits me in small moments every now and then that I am. Um, but we didn't have fans, you know, and, and everything was very quiet. And we showed up and you showed up at staggered times. So you're by yourself. The only people you see are security. And you go through a private tunnel or a private staircase. You, you don't see anybody else. And especially if it's a road game, I was in a booth. Jeff was in another booth and then there was our producer and the stadium's quiet. There's, there's not even a PR staffer there. Um, it felt like a lock-in a lot of the times and it was just a very surreal feeling. But at the same time, I didn't have any anxiety over it. You know, the, the pressure didn't feel like it was there. And for as weird as people said, calling games off monitors were, um, yeah, every now and then there'd be like a little discrepancy, like somebody with the camera you know, you can't, you can't see the whole field. So you're depending on what they're showing you and the camera might zoom in too far or, or, or back up too much. And then you don't really know what's going on and you kind of have to slow roll it to make it sound like you do. But um, apart from that, I actually, I really enjoyed it because it was a good baby step into being in the big leagues and understanding how everything works and what their expectations are of you. That being said, um, very much looking forward to normal baseball with fans and getting to travel and getting to continue to check off my list of stadiums. Um, I've missed that so much. I've never been this sedentary before and it's definitely a weird feeling. Um, so, you know, we start eyeing California and Texas and of course, Minnesota, Boston, New York, and all these other places for 2021. And, I'm very, very eager to actually see fans instead of just hearing them. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I can't even imagine just calling something with no fans and like without that energy. I feel like that's a really cool thing about sports is is fan bring that energy that 
think everybody working in sports kind of feeds off of. So that's really unique. Um, and taking a step back, and you kind of mentioned, I guess, all the craziness there for a while and, and constantly moving around and waking up at 5 a.m. and all of that. I feel like a lot of people in sports go through that. And Alana and I have both received a lot of questions from high school kids, college kids asking like, how do you deal with burnout? Like, I feel like I'm going like hundred miles per hour. Like I went through really bad burnout in college. So like, how did you kind of go through that process? Um, and just like handling it like mentally and emotionally. Yeah, it's, um, it's very real. I, I, I hit burnout inevitably. It's usually the fifth week of a season. And of course, granted that was the minor league side of things. So I haven't gotten to experience uh, the major league end yet, but that was also due to the fact that it was balancing sales, making sure media guides were done, handling outside media, doing pre and post game every day by yourself, editing all of the new content, getting social media content, um, writing articles, you know, just anything and everything imaginable. I mean, my average minor league work day usually ran from eight or nine o'clock in the morning until two or three o'clock in the morning. Um, and there's no days off, you know, you would get the quote unquote one day off. And that's usually trying to desperately catch up on the laundry and the dishes that have now become like toxic levels of just terrifying mess. And then, you know, getting right back into trying to get the next series started. Um, and you have to find it in little moments. And I think towards the end of last season, given that that was my first as a lead, finding the small times, even if it was just 30 minutes to go to the gym and burn stuff off or to just sit down and watch a 30 minute TV show and have some ice cream. So I really never gave myself more than a 30 minute mental break. Um, but it's just, it's a part of the game. It really is. And I do sympathize for people who feel it for the first time. And I think they realize like, Oh, this is a lot more than just the five hours around the game. It's an all day, every day affair just to make sure that everything runs and it does test you. And I think that's where a lot of people find out whether they do or don't want to be in this industry. And for those who have deviated and say they've gone into public relations or marketing roles, it's been also equally rewarding to see how much they've fallen in love with that because it does give them a little bit of a work-life balance back to themselves. Um, and it's another reason too, for the most part, when the baseball season ends, I have a dead period. And it's those first two weeks, um, I sleep in, I have no alarms, I go to bed when I go to bed, I eat whatever I feel like eating. Um, I don't touch the gym, I probably only really live between the couch and my room, and that's about it. And at first for me, um, having been so heavily involved really my whole life, from high school and college, and then of course being in the minor leagues, it was really difficult to allow myself to do that. But that being said, after the first year or two of making sure that I implemented that, I really realized just how important it is to have that and to really give back to yourself. So it's kind of that, yes, you're going to get slammed for now and you're probably going to cry and you're probably going to go through different moments where you just really hate that you've chosen to do this. And I, I certainly do. And that's what your inner circle is for, um, is to let those moments out so that you can let them out and then keep moving on with your day. Um, but for all that chaos, it's worth it, especially when you get to have that quiet time to look back on everything that you have done and just realize, you know, you're serving way more than just yourself and you're serving way more than just the athletes as well. Um, it just comes down to finding those, those little moments. And I, I even go so far as, especially this year with Baltimore, um, again, because we couldn't be at the field until an hour before first pitch. 
So instead of going in in the afternoon and seeing batting practice and everything else, I completely restructured my schedule to where I had the whole day open until 1130 noon. And then from noon on, usually for a 7 p.m. game would be work leading up to it. So I'd make sure, you know, I'd get up at 830 and go to the gym and cook if I felt like cooking that day or go pick something up if I didn't. Um, making sure that I got out and saw the city as well, because that was one thing I did regret with a couple different stops that I lived at was I never really had time to see where I lived. Um, and now you look back at it and you're like, yeah, the ballpark was cool, but I see some of these things on Instagram or like on a travel page and it was right outside of my backyard and I had no idea. Um, and I think that's one thing looking back that I wish I could give to people too, is if you have the time before or even after the season ends, just take advantage of it. Don't be so quick to, to pack up and go back to your actual home. Um, appreciate where your temporary home has been as well, but you just, you got to take it in small amounts and the, the best power nap advice I can give with burnout. And it was something we had in a case study years ago. Uh, you lay down and whenever you lay down, you set your alarm for 34 minutes from that point. It takes your brain 14 minutes to shut off and go to sleep. And then it's 20 minutes that actually fits within your REM cycle to where you wake up feeling more energized instead of the naps we've all taken before where we wake up and we might need another 10 years of sleep after that. Um, but 34 minute naps are, are what I swear by and uh, they definitely get you through. Okay, I will definitely keep that in mind. Have you ever taken a coffee nap before where you drink a cup of coffee right before you take a nap and you take a nap and like you wake up and you're like extra energized. I don't know, like one of my college roommates like swore by that and uh, I tried it once, it like kind of worked, but apparently it works for better for different people. But maybe <laughs> the 34 minutes mixed with the coffee nap. That's I think we're on to something. I, I would like to say I've done that, but not intentionally. It's all like everybody down to my players knows me. I always am double fisting with a water and a coffee. Like I, I drink unhealthy amounts from probably, I've gotten Same. better. Like I'll, I'll shut off my last cup by like six o'clock at night. Um, but yeah, I, I live on the stuff. I did finally learn that you have to match water for coffee because too much coffee can dehydrate you and actually make you feel more tired. Um, so yeah, shout out to, to H2O for keeping me alive. But I've probably taken a lot of coffee naps. Yeah, uh, I'm very similar. Always water bottle in one hand, cup of coffee in the other, constantly drinking it. It's probably unhealthy, but like whatever. <laughs> um, and I guess like going to, you said that you like spend a lot of time in the stadium. Like I know that you didn't necessarily get to travel that much this season, but what's been your favorite, either minor league or major league stadium that you've been in? Oh gosh, that's a tough one. Um Minor league stadiums have been really cool just between being in the Texas league, the Eastern league, the Southern league, and obviously the Carolina league last year. Um, the cities around were really neat too. We got to explore Georgetown um, when we were playing the Potomac, who are of course now the Frederick nationals. Frisco was so huge and being so close to Dallas and Arlington, getting to be really close with the parent club was a lot of fun. And, and I have family and friends out there. And, and that was probably the most fulfilling season for me, just because having that friend base, um, they, they forced a little bit more life into what I had been doing instead of just working all the time. Um, on the major league side of things, I will say it was one of the most gratifying moments last season was finally getting to step on Fenway soil as a credentialed member of the media and belonging to the parent club. Um, it's one of the most historic parks in the league, and I'm probably going to get a lot of flack from Baltimore fans for this because it's, it's an AL East rival, but 
it would be the same thing if I had grown up, you know, an Orioles fan and I worked for Frederick last year and getting to step onto Camden. And I think that's the thing too, is I haven't gotten to see Camden. I haven't been out to see the statues in the outfield. I haven't stepped on the grass with the exception of a random trip that I had made last season um, to go to a Royals Orioles game. So I haven't had that true feeling yet of being in the park and going, you know, I work here now. This is my home. Even as a sideline reporter, we did two games that were from the press box. And then the rest of them, I was in a suite all by myself. Um, so it's just, you just don't have that intimate gritty feel yet, but definitely that moment at Fenway and it was 65 and a day game and it was so perfect. And I'd gone up because they were honoring all of their minor league players of the year and four out of the six were my Salem kids. And so that was just, you know, it's even more, again, the mom moments of just being that proud person um, to see how well those guys had done. But it, it'll always be like that best memory for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, Alana's about to ask your, your best memory. But. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just, I was <laughs> I just about plenty. to say. I got plenty. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was about to say, I personally like, my life goal, right, is to, like, make it to all, like, the stadiums, like, has always been my thing, but uh, Fenway's definitely, like, on my list, like, I've gone to a few, like, on the California, Arizona side, obviously, because that's where I am right now, um, but then COVID happened, but, like, I will hopefully make it there at some point. You will. I'm really hoping for it. Yeah, I'm really hoping You'll... it's going to happen. <laughs> so, I will say, I will say um, with that, um, I will never forget being at the Arizona-Colorado wildcard game. It was the first postseason game I'd ever gotten to attend live. Archie Bradley yes. was one of my mobile kids. He was the guy we had watched struggle with like a five plus ERA. He couldn't figure it out. And then all of a sudden he's this electric closer and then he's hitting a triple and the whole place is just going insane. Um, and I still like, I'm getting chills right now talking about it. It was just the coolest thing. And I'm sure you've heard with super fan Susan in Arizona. Um, yes, she, I love her. <laughs> I would pay to have her memory because that would make my job so much easier. But um, I got to sit with her and spend the game with her and it was absolutely insane. And then likewise too, the 2018 season in Frisco, we actually, we had several call-ups that season. Um, but one in particular, we actually got to be there for in person when he made his major league debut. And it was funny because we'd gone to the previous two games thinking, you know, he could go in at any moment and he'd warm up in the bullpen and then he never came in. And so it was just this roller coaster. Um, it was myself and several of our other staff members. And then he finally came in and he was coming down the stairs and, um, you know, just like I started crying because, you know, you've been on the buses, you've, you've watched the breakdowns and um, everything that goes through it. And getting to see that was just such an unbelievable, rewarding experience. And I mean, likewise, I've now gotten to see several of our guys make their debuts. And um, that's that's what you ultimately live for as a broadcaster is, is just watching them, even if it's for a day, getting to have their name called. Um, it's It's just the best. Yeah. I think part of my heart broke when they traded Archie Bradley, like over like the last period, I was like, all right, I was like, this is fine. I was like, we're fine. Like, and then when the Reds almost made it to playoffs, I'm like, well, okay. I'm like, I guess maybe he'll get a ring. So like, this is good for him. Like happy for you, but also yeah. sad you left, but it happens. Hopefully it'll happen one of these days for sure. Uh, yeah, so highly recommend Target Field. That's that's my favorite ballpark. We were supposed to be there this year. <laughs> Melanie's like, I was supposed to be at all these places. 
Yeah, I've had, so I don't have my, I have my little stadium. It was a gift from a friend of everywhere that I've been. Um, I want to say I've been to 13 parks. Uh, Obviously those include some that are now defunct, like Turner Field. But yeah, looking at the number that were on there and that I'd finally get to go to for the first time was so exciting. Until it wasn't. (laughs) Until it was like, just kidding. Well, anyways, on that note, what has been one or like a couple, either minor league or or major league, like memory, whether it was seeing someone that you had seen in the minor leagues now now playing the major leagues or something really special and even like a childhood memory, what has been some of your favorite having to do with like baseball and sports? Yeah, all of every call up that we have had. has just, I, I remember every single one of them and it's kind of been on, on two different ends. I've seen a lot where they've been told that they're going to the show um, and we knew it was coming and they didn't. And so getting to watch that and the way that different managers choose to tell their players, some of them play pranks, some of them are straight up about it. Uh, their, their experiences that just, they really stick in your heart. And that's, I think what has shaped me into making sure that my focus as a broadcaster has been building emotional bridges to fans just because those are emotional moments for me. And those are what endear me to this game so much is, is those, those little moments and making sure that fans can get a taste of that, even if they can't be there for them in real life. And on the flip side too, you know, it's like you said, watching them actually get to go out and make their big league debut and watching them succeed and be everything. And it's funny because people who don't know me that well will watch me watch a game and they'll think I'll be rooting for this one team until someone comes to the plate or somebody takes over on the mound and I'll get all excited. And they're like, all right, this is, this is a dumb girl. She's, she's rooting for both teams. And it's like, no, like you become a fan of all these kids and it doesn't matter, you know, how many times they get traded or where they end up or what happened. You're always going to want the best for them. Even if it's against your team, you're like, overall, can our team win? But like, if he can get a hit or if he can have a clean inning, that would be great. Um, watching Josh Hader last year in the Brewers wildcard game was one of the toughest experiences because he was a guy who worked alongside in the fall league, um, and was somebody who we had gotten to know really well. And of course he has a wonderful wife who she just, she makes you love them all the more. Um, and so it's just, you, you start latching on to these different little pieces. And I think those will always stand out to me, but Likewise with Salem last year, again, we were looking at the worst record in history. I, I mean, it was abysmal and, you know, it gets to the point where the players don't really want to talk about anything and the coaches aren't really happy campers at that point. So it's a tough environment to be around on a day in, day out. Um, and then all of a sudden start gaining ground and they forgot how to lose in the second half. And they lost some of their best players. They've been promoted. So it was in a time where we really thought that this is, we're going to tailspin now. Like we thought it was bad. It's hopeless. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. Um, and, and I went from having a game that got postponed at two o'clock in the morning to having to go cover Liberty's season opener against Syracuse the next day. And the team had the possibility of clinching the playoffs that day. And I was a manic on my phone trying to, keep up with sideline reporting with football, but also checking our scores. And I was like, if they clinch the one day I'm not there, like I'll never forgive myself for this. And of course they didn't. Uh, we came back the next day. And it was a beautiful Sunday day game. Um, and one of our lead closers who had just welcomed his first baby with his wife, he got his 13th save of the season. And 
um, every emotion that went with that of, of realizing that this was a playoff team and it was one of the teams I had been most included with. I hadn't had any barriers as a woman. I had, had full support of our fans, our staff, our players. Um, I, I did a lot of really happy tears over those 48 hours and just seeing that they actually returned it. You know, they, they felt like they wanted me around. They felt like I was a part of it, not that I was just this kind of annoying person who was always asking them to do interviews and trying to take awkward photos of them for Instagram, but that, you know, I'd actually contributed something and given them something to their families. Um, it was really cool. And, and I mean, we had, we had cool guys on the team and that's everybody from our independent league guys who had been playing for 10 years to, you know, having Pedro Gomez's son and getting to know their family and how entertaining and warm and welcoming he was. He's another male mentor that I, I absolutely adore now, but um, it was a moment that I was looking forward to actually being able to repeat in 2020. And obviously both of those things didn't happen um, for very different reasons, the good and the bad, it, it, but it, it's always going to be a highlight for me. I still, I still have the empty bottle of champagne. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's amazing. Thank you so much for like just sharing all these amazing stories with us and, and your journey so far. It's been really cool um, to hear about. I feel like a lot of people are kind of put out in the spotlight, but you don't necessarily know their journey, how they got to where they are today. So it was amazing hearing um, all of your experiences. Thank you. No, I can, and I can ramble a lot and I do apologize for that, but I just, <laughs> I feel like, again, it's just, it's the ability to share those stories that lets people feel like they're also included you know that that there aren't walls and that it's not this black and white cold thing and if you don't open up and share some of that stuff you know no one's ever gonna know um and I think that's kind of a loss when we don't get to share each other's stories yeah I think that's a a huge thing of why we're doing it this right is you know to show them that there isn't the walls like we're all here just kind of to help each other and inspire and, and lift up and support and all the good things so definitely really happy you're able to come on and obviously like talk about your journey it was really inspiring and really eye-opening at least for me like minor league baseball I was like what so for me I definitely learned something oh, yeah. so thank you so much no definitely and I mean again I just I think it's such a wonderful platform that you guys have to really have that spotlight shed on different pieces um and to make it a little more of an inclusive community and um, it was something I tried to impress upon the guys last year when they they insisted that I was going to be in the team playoff photo. Um, and I, I just kept saying, no, no we, just, we needed a few guys. And they said, no, like you've been on every bus ride. You've been here. Um, and I broke down in tears. And, and I don't think they really understood that because, again, a lot of them are 19. And, and I told them, I said, look, when I started, I wasn't allowed on the bus. It was a league rule by a female league president. I was not allowed on the bus. Um, I wasn't allowed in the clubhouse. I, I was harassed and, and chastised daily about e even so much as saying hello to a player on the field, which if you can imagine trying to get a player to do a pregame interview when you're not allowed to even speak to them, um, it's a really, really difficult situation. And just to see how far this industry has come in realizing that we're capable and we're not, we don't want to be treated with kid gloves. Um, it's, it's just a lot to me to know that we're turning the corner and it's because of the stuff like what you guys do and the work that you're putting in to make sure that those are known. Thank you. <laughs> that was really good. Thank you. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on Melanie. I'm 
really excited to hear you in Baltimore and hopefully make it to a game once COVID like has whenever, over, but whenever yeah. you guys <laughs> want to and can be in Baltimore you just say the word or if we if we come out closer to Arizona we got you yeah for sure thank you so much again we really appreciate it no I love thank it. you thank you guys